Tangents is a series of podcasts created by the JCT Maths team for the Junior Cycle Talks podcast channel. Hello and welcome to Tangents, a JCT Maths team podcast. I'm Katrina Cronin. And I'm Emer Brady. So Emer, tell me about who you were talking to this week. So I was talking to uh, Dr. Therese Dooley, who's been working as a primary uh, teacher educator in DCU for the last 20 years. And she had some really interesting things to say about maths education and about how young children learn maths. Hi, Therese. It's great to have you here for our podcast, Tangents. So the first thing that I'd like to ask you about, really, is how did you come to be a lecturer in primary school education? Uh, first of all, thank you for asking me to participate in this very exciting venture that you have. So, well, I suppose as a child, I loved being in school. I had some very inspirational teachers and particularly in primary school. As I moved into secondary school, I began to think a bit more about mathematics and science careers because they were the subjects that I liked and, and did well in. But when it came to applying for college courses and university courses, I included primary teaching. We had at the time to do an interview, gain access into the course. Uh, that included an English interview, an Irish interview, a music test. And, you know, my singing ability is not the best. So I, I went through thinking that I wouldn't get into teaching. And, and then I discovered that I got a place. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... At that stage, I looked into what the course involved and I found that I could actually study uh, mathematics as part of my teacher training. So it was like some kind of convergence of opportunities and so on. I did a three-year B.Ed. course. I absolutely loved it here and loved my time. But studying mathematics and uh, we had quite innovative approaches to mathematics education at the time. There was a lot of workshops which wouldn't have been the norm. So... um, I, Sean Close, uh, who was my lecturer in maths education, had just come back from studying in America and he said, this is the approach they're using for teacher education. So we had, had a very rich experience, I mm-hmm. suppose, of both mathematics and maths education. And then it was the kind of late 70s, early 80s that got into teaching. And, and at that time, you know, if you got a job somewhere, you stayed in, in the job. Um, I was teaching in an all-boys school. And, and as time went on, I noticed a gap between... Uh, the theory and all the kind of approaches that I had seen in college and what was actually happening on the ground because there was a huge emphasis on procedures on quite high stakes entrance exams in secondary school at the time um, and so maths was seen as a subject that some could do and that others couldn't and I began to get very concerned about this mm-hmm. because I always had this feeling that mathematics was a right for everyone. So I embarked on my master's in maths education. I went to Trinity, I worked with Elizabeth Oldham, and in particular looked at how this emphasis on procedures affects children's mathematical identity and indeed their, their perspectives on what mathematics is. But, uh, around that time, I, I think positions opened up here in St. Well, well, Patrick's College in the area of maths education. So I got a job here and was hadn't taught for 20 years in the primary school. I went on and I worked in the college as a lecturer in maths education for uh, 20 years and just has been amazing. And I've just been thrilled to be part of all of that. Your views on education changed through, through that time? 
and I think education. I mean, there's so many theories mm. now there, and educational theories that influence the teaching and learning. I suppose, like most people, I would have been very much influenced by how I was taught myself. Except, you know, as, as I said, influenced by the workshops of mathematics education here. I, I thought slightly differently about them. Uh, problem solving and um, being to the fore in mathematics, something that you start with in, in all areas, not just in mathematics, but in all areas. Seeing education as power is really important for children, not only to engage in group work and collaborative learning, have collaborative learning experiences, but also to reflect on their learning and to evaluate their own learning and to be very much, I suppose, agents in the process of education. That actually brings me on really to what are the biggest challenges that teachers face. Again, it's difficult to answer that in a neat way, if you like, mm-hmm. because I think, yes, there's the, the, the pressures of time, of what we call curriculum coverage, but there's also, I suppose, like always, there's just different social problems that teachers have to deal with. I think the uh, role of the teacher in society is viewed differently. It just might not be a bad thing, I think, mm-hmm. that, because I think at one stage maybe the teacher had seemed to have too much power. So mm-hmm. um, I think that, that this, I suppose, uh, the emphasis on, on results in standardised uh, tests, which are only a part of the picture, increased accountability, I suppose, in that regard. Um, I think those subjects that are the basis of standardised tests get more attention and maybe the kind of thinking that's required in standardised tests gets more attention. So what what you what are the big concepts that would dominate teaching in primary school in terms of maths? The 1999 maths curriculum would say that equal emphasis should be placed on the five strands, number, measures, shape and space, algebra and data. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them are seen as important. How endeavour in terms of what happens in schools we know from the results of national tests of achievement and international tests of achievement that the focus is predominantly on number. And number is important. The number, I suppose, infiltrates all the other strands, but equally the other strands have a connection back with number and, and are important, I suppose, increasingly important in a, in a different kind of world, different kind of world that we're living in now. You know, children are probably doing best at recall of procedures and struggle most most struggle with problem applying and problem solving with the higher order thinking skills now Ireland are not alone in that um, other countries have the same same issues apply um, but we could certainly be doing better and it's always uh, when, when we talk about change in mathematics teaching and learning and um, focuses often on problem solving but it's difficult to uh, move away from the dominance of number and numerical procedures in the teaching and learning of mathematics. Do you think there's a, like, for example, for shape, do you think that maybe it's just not, it's not valued as much or? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like shape is probably one of those that's kind of not seen as, as so, so important, um, which is a real pity given the, uh, given the, the, the need for that kind of understanding mm-hmm. in today's technological world. But I suppose when mathematics was thought for utilitarian purposes, then the, the shopkeeper skills, if you like, mm-hmm. were particularly important. Mm-hmm. 
that's not the case anymore, but some, some residual of that in society and in the minds of teachers. And, and, um, and also, it's probably easier to assess numerical procedures than to assess understanding of shape and space. Yeah. So I'm often assessed, gets thought. Do, do you think that maybe secondary school teachers think that primary school students are taught in a different way? As part of a project where we're looking at transitions from primary uh, to secondary maths one time, I interviewed mm-hmm. some uh, second level teachers. Now, it's not a representative sample. Mm-hmm. But what came out from that interview was that they start from basics and almost presume, I mean, obviously they would presume that they know the basics like the four operations, like addition, mm-hmm. subtraction, and multiplication, and division, and, and the actual, I suppose, place value. But when it comes to what might be perceived as the more complicated mathematics, and not generally as fractions, that mm-hmm. they're, they were treated as if nothing had been taught in primary school. Now, as I said, mm-hmm. I want to emphasize this wasn't a representative yeah. sample, and I'm not sure that goes on for all schools, but that's the only evidence that I have. And to, what, to when, when would a student start um, working with fractions in primary school? First class, which is when they're six, six or seven. Um, I mean, that's really around identification of fractions and, and understanding what a fraction is when it comes to operations with fractions, fourth and fifth and sixth class. But children do find them very, very tricky and demanding. Yeah. Yeah. And I think room for some kind of communication where mm-hmm. primary teachers and, and uh, post, post-primary teachers are more open with each other about mm-hmm. what children know and don't know. And, and I'm sure that in different primary schools there will be different emphasis, in different post-primary schools there will be different emphasis mm-hmm. in terms of content thought and approaches taken and so on. But there's a real opportunity now with the new, the, the new primary curriculum that will be introduced in 2021 and the new junior uh, cycle syllabus, where there's a huge commonality, I think, of approaches. And I think it would be an awful pity not to take advantage of that in terms of children's ease move, moving from the primary into the post-primary setting. So where would you see those two really gelling well? Like how they, there should be a better continuum now? Is that like from yeah, one to the other? Yes, as, well, as far as possible. Mm. I don't think you'd ever get a very smooth continuum mm. because you for all of us, if we move from one context to another, one setting to another, there's always going to be a little bit of slippage, if you like, because we're not just dealing with the subject per se, we're also dealing with you know, a new environment, mm-hmm. new people, um, maybe expectations, you know, societal expectations in terms of what second post-primary school is, uh, maybe moving away from the comfort of a primary school where you're dealing with one teacher. So it's never going to be completely smooth. Um, I don't think it has to be smooth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, we maybe place too much emphasis on that. What, what do students struggle with most at, at primary level? What seems to be most challenging for primary children is the whole area of application and problem solving. And often then it's in the area of measures because measure, measures are often linked with uh, problem solving and application. And... I think also there's huge emphasis on the use of textbooks in primary school. And uh, I I think there's ways that textbooks can be used in a very creative way. But normally the the, the textbook is used in a very, again, a very procedural fashion. Children are not afforded then the opportunity to go deep into 
say, aspects of shape and space are indeed about data. Because mm-hmm. often the questions that are asked in these areas are quite superficial, rather than children really looking behind data and thinking about the reasons for particular findings mm-hmm. and so on. So do, do they get the opportunity to use real data? Certainly encouraged mm-hmm. to, and I think many mm-hmm. children do that. They, mm-hmm. they do collect uh, their own data. But again, I think it's important that it's not just about something trivial. So I think that whatever data they collect should matter, should have a meaning for them, that in some way it will get them to think about their lives and maybe change their lives. There was a really nice study done recently where children looked at uh, the times that they went to bed and they kept a diary on that and then they reflected on that and, and, it, and, and as a result of that they began to change their sleep patterns, mm-hmm. began to go to bed earlier. So. I think that it's not just about children collecting their own data, but collecting data that's authentic mm-hmm. and changes the way they live their lives. The theme for our podcast is creativity. Uh, what do you think it means to be creative? When we think about creativity, we think about producing something different and something new and something that's valuable as well. Mm-hmm. So, wonderful piece of art or music piece of literature it's perhaps hard to think but how that might happen in mathematics although there are new findings all the time in mathematics but how children might produce something new in mathematics you know we can be creative in our own way or in small ways so for example if we think about as adults well sometimes we might uh, make a card a greeting card for a friend and it might be very creative but it'll only be valued by maybe the person who receives the card or maybe a small small number of friends or whatever. So we think about that perhaps as a kind of a small C creativity. It's something that's new and valued by a smaller group. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are loads of, there's lots of potential for that in children's learning of primary mathematics because they might be able to create something new for the group. It might be out there somewhere, but it's new for the group. So children might invent a four-sided shape that they've never seen before. That's new for this group. It might be out there somewhere. So that's, I suppose, thinking about creativity as the production of something new and different and valuable. When the great, I suppose, people who are associated with great creativity are interviewed, it's found that they go through this cycle. And the cycle, now, there are variations on the cycle, so, but I'll keep it quite simple. So there's the area of preparation where you're gathering your data, you're looking at your, your information perhaps. You might want to write something. So you gather your thoughts, your information, whatever. And then you go away and you let all that information just sit somewhere and it works away somewhere in the, in the subconscious. And then there's the moment of insight. And it all kind of comes together. Mm-hmm. And then there's the evaluation, thinking about whether that is something worthwhile or not, and whether you need to go back into the cycle again, and so on. And that's been found again and again by creative people in all kinds of areas. And it's also been found in people who are creative in mathematics, Poincaré being Mm -hmm. a particular example. What's really important is that children and learners have that opportunity to experience that moment of insight. Often, mathematics can deteriorate into children having to grasp the teacher's insight, not their own insight. When I would think about being creative in mathematics, I 
think about producing something new, about having experiences of these moments of insight. And I suppose other ways that mathematics can be linked with what are traditionally seen as the more creative subjects. So finding the mathematics in music, finding the mathematics in art, finding the mathematics in literature, linking them. And that's possibly another way that the teaching and learning of maths can be creative. How would you encourage creativity in maths then? Mm, I think it's important first that they're ask meaningful questions. Um, and that mathematics is not delivered as a, a recipe or a formula that's out there. If, for example, go back to our number examples, because they're often the ones that are kind of found least, I suppose, conducive, if you like, to creativity. I wouldn't teach the procedure for long division, but present to children a problem which requires them to divide, perhaps, a multi-digit number by another Mm-hmm. multi-digit number and they would have time then to think about that and to come up to collaborate and think about their ways of solving this particular problem and there could be lots and lots of ways mm-hmm. and then they can share their different ways and some of these ways will be new to the group so we go mm-hmm. back to our small c creativity mm-hmm. and then they would have time to think about the different solution strategies mm-hmm. think about the ones that are perhaps most elegant, are most efficient, take less time, or are easy to understand. Really, I suppose what you're talking about there is giving some, some of the power, the locus of control, if you like, rather than power, control of their learning to children. And being confident that they can come up with ways of solving this problem. If it's not, the problem is not too far out of their reach. The problem might be have, to be have to be modified if it's way out of their reach. And allowing them to have a voice in the mathematics class. And allowing them to see that mathematics is creative. And there are many, many ways of solving the one problem. I think it's also really important that children have an opportunity to engage in possibility thinking. So rather than having the lesson done, started, completed in 40 minutes or whatever the time is, that to give a problem that children have to think about and they're asked to think about it overnight and that they come back in the following day and come up with their things, talk about their thinking on this particular problem. So that kind of incubation, that time away from the problem where they may have a moment of insight on it is really important. Not closing down the discussion too quickly, allowing that discussion to be maintained in the classroom. And that can be quite challenging. So if we were to go back, I suppose, starting with an interesting problem mm-hmm. and allowing children to go over their own strategies and their own approaches and so on, giving them time and time for possibility thinking and the teacher not closing down the discussion too quickly. Peer interaction then would be important in that process. Absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. because they learn a lot from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And also it's a safer environment, safe, safer context for them than the uh, whole class discussion. There's a lot of risks to be taken in whole class discussion. But in peer interaction, it gives them a time to voice their thinking to another child and maybe to clarify their thinking Mm -hmm. with another child and learn from the other child. They also then have the opportunity to go and share this in in the full class. So children learn a lot from each other. And that's critical. And leave time on their own to write down their notes and think about what they want to say is important. Teresa, what 
age would you say that students start to really tackle difficult problems from them? I think that children start from the day they're born. I think that, that children will, will be coming in at many different levels mm-hmm. and, and levels of achievement and so on. So they're all on learning, they're all on their learning trajectories and some children will be capable of solving more challenging problems than others. And what's really important is that they're solving problems that are challenging for them. Yes, there are certainly children who would be maybe finding what might be considered more basic maths quite challenging for them. And there are other children who are reaching, yeah, they're, they're, they're able to do more, something more demanding. And I often, I suppose, irks me. Children in primary school are expected, all expected to be doing the same thing at the same time. Whereas in, we'll say, reading, that would never be the expectation. In fact, that would be seen as very poor teaching. So you try to meet a child where the child is in terms of, say, their readers that they're using in, in school. And you adjust the pace to suit them. And that doesn't happen to the same extent in mathematics. So then if children have some poor foundation in mathematics, mm-hmm. they may be expected to multiply fractions, divide fractions, when actually they're finding the whole concept of multiplication or division with whole numbers difficult. But it's very, very difficult to adjust what's happening in the classroom to that child's needs. And that's possibly because, again, to go back to it, dependence on the textbook. So there's one textbook for each class level. Um, whereas that would not be the case, I think, so much in other subjects. So I, I discuss that a lot with the students here because they get very concerned about how they'll deal with the, the different needs of, of students. I think, well, if you were doing PE, you mightn't expect every child in the class to jump to the same height. You might be quite happy if they were maybe jumping a little bit higher than they were last week. The same approach is needed in mm-hmm. mathematics. So you think that maybe teachers struggle a little bit with mixed mixed ability when it comes to math? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And again, I think it's it's down to the kind of resources that are used and, and, and what what receives emphasis and 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 to some degree their expectations. As yes, well, absolutely. Such. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit about problem solving in primary school. So as I've mentioned a few times problem solving is an area of concern in primary mathematics Mm -hmm. here and indeed many parts of the the world. Traditionally, problem solving might have been, we would have thought about problem solving as were problems at the back of a chapter. And some children might have struggled with these problems because they may have had a struggle struggle with reading. Other children would have known or would have worked out quite easily that they need to apply whatever the procedure they were learning in the earlier chapter. So there weren't really mm-hmm. problems for them. Mm-hmm. It was just the kind of the procedure wrapped up in text. Now, as I've mentioned, there's a different view of problem solving. It should be something that's more open-ended. And we see problem solving as being at the very heart of a maths lesson. Starting each, every class being an opportunity to solve a problem. And a problem doesn't have to be dressed up all the time in words. We could think about something like, well, do you think there might be a number between zero and one? And might there be other numbers between mm-hmm. zero and one? So we can think about that as some kind of a problem that children would deal with. So 
it's, I suppose, how we frame a problem. And a problem is something that we don't necessarily know the answer to immediately, but we might want to find out. So I suppose the, the challenge for teachers is to find that problem and maybe to adjust that problem according to the needs of the learner in his or her class. And you think in that regard as maybe a whole lesson, perhaps two lessons, being devoted to the solution of one problem. So there may be times when the word problems that I've talked about have a role. We don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, but I would think and I would hope that with the introduction of the curriculum, the new primary curriculum in 2021, we will see a far greater emphasis on a more open-ended problem-solving approach. Ties back in a little bit there with your creativity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, they get their problem, it stimulates a bit of thought and, you know, they have to to consider it for a while, go off, formulate their ideas and Mm. hopefully get that bit of insight to solve it. And And to know that it's okay to struggle. Mm -hmm. I think children get very frustrated if they don't know the answer immediately. The way mathematics is presented to them is often... um, is presented as something, do you know the answer straight away? And, and what gets rewarded is speed and having the answer straight away. Mm-hmm. So the children who are good at maths are those who, who do that. So it's also a question of actually allowing the struggle and the time away and for children to know that that's all okay. It's, 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 it's a sea change for the classroom and maybe for how mathematics is done at home and the kind of homework they get and... There's still this view out in the world at large of children not doing well in maths because they don't know their tables. The tables are still there. They yeah. haven't got away. The, the, the recall of tables or facts, as we like to call them now, is still on the curriculum. There's a huge amount of research into how they're thought because the, the drill, if they're done, if it's done too soon, it could impede children's learning of them. But this idea out there, the issue of maths, is knowing the tables, which has a very narrow mathematical uh, focus in society at large. Now, I'm not saying that that predominates everybody's thinking, but I've heard it and mm-hmm. I wonder about it. Yeah, and it, it comes back to quite a few a few myths. Mm-hmm. I think, um, like, one of them would be the use of the calculator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's been introduced too, too soon in mm-hmm. primary school. What would your own opinion on that be? I think we talk about the calculator, we talk about digital technology, we talk about resources in schools or textbooks or whatever. I think if they allow for, if any of them allow for children to think deeply about mathematics, then they're useful resource. So it's a question of how they're used in the classroom. Calculators can be used um, to promote higher order thinking. So let me give an example, mm-hmm. a lovely example actually of the missing buttons problem. So we might say to children, well, we want, like you to multiply, we say 25, well, let me say 26 by four, but the six buttons broken. So how would you use the calculator to multiply 26 by four with six buttons broken. And that can encourage all kinds of thinking and discussion and so on. Mm. So it's never that any particular uh, resource is all good or all bad. Mm -hmm. It's just how it's used in the classroom. Now, in the primary curriculum, the calculator is introduced at the moment in fourth class when children have an understanding of the concepts of the operations. I presume that would be the case in we move forward to the next curriculum 
And it's important, again, when we talk about empowering children, that we talk to them about when it might be useful to use the, the, the calculator and when they might dispense with it. And there are lots of activities that can be done around that. It's interesting that the, the pen and paper algorithms were introduced, we'd say, around or about 500, 600 years ago. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was a real concern that the pen and paper algorithms or pen and paper procedures would make children lazy. The calculator is a tool that's there. Mm-hmm. It's all the phones, what we on watches. It's a tool that's there. So, But it requires different kinds of skills because it requires children to be very good at estimating their answers because the calculator can be used incorrectly mm-hmm. as well. That just means that, that the emphasis has to change. Children often perceive estimation to be around guessing the correct answer. You would see children in primary school uh, erasing their estimates if it's not exactly the answer that should be there. So we need to think about having estimation in every lesson. What do you think will happen? What do you think when we collect this data? What do you think the shape will look like? And why do you think that? Does anybody agree? Does anybody disagree? So it's part of, it's becoming part of our thinking, our initial thinking about the problem. And it's not about the correct response. You were talking earlier about trying to get students to think about how they might divide before they've actually been thought about mm. it. So wh- why would that be more beneficial than just tell them? Well, it's, I suppose, how they see themselves as learners of mathematics and their identity as learners of mathematics. So they're not just, as Joe Bowler would say, passive recipients mm. of knowledge. And many children um, disengage with mathematics because they have difficulty just remembering the procedures. And by the age of about nine, they can decide that they're not actually good at maths. And the reason they see themselves as not good at maths is because they don't necessarily remember the procedure or whatever it Mm -hmm. happens to be. But also, if they have some control over how they're learning and the approaches, it prepares them to be citizens of the future because that's what they will need to do in the future. They will need to devise solutions and responses and so on to a whole range of problems, problems that we can't even perceive perceive now. So like I mentioned before, there may have been a time when the world of work required children to replicate procedures and to take orders and so on. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. the case now. We don't know what kind of world children will be going into in 20 years' time, what kind of problems they encounter. But what we do know is that they will have to be adept at problem solving. And it starts in the classroom, and it starts in the mathematics classroom as well, where they see themselves as active problem solvers. It's about children engaging with mathematics, and we need to dispel the myth that some people are bad at mathematics. I mean, too many people who, where it's acceptable in society, as from an early age, that children say, well, I can't do maths, I don't do maths. And that often happens with, with girls. Mm-hmm. So I think a different approach to teaching, a different style of teaching, a different emphasis will help to address this. So do you think that guiding students and encouraging creativity and the use of tasks is is that a complex activity for teachers? Is, is it oh, difficult? Absolutely. 
and you know and and, and the job of teaching is is it's demanding and it's difficult and I suppose mathematics is traditionally the place where you can control what happens in the room and we can do this by telling and by procedures and having all children doing uh, the one you know using the one procedure to, to, to solve a problem undoubtedly it's it's very challenging um, and it needs it teachers need to be confident and they need a lot of support to do it and uh, juggling with a lot and you know there's a lot of issues in the classroom anyway we're dealing with with up to 30 human beings in a classroom and, and they come with all their their histories and their different contexts and their different motivations and different levels of engagement and their different stories and yes it is far far more demanding but far more rewarding I would say and again I would back and look at other subjects because we kind of allow that that if you like we want to call it confusion for want of a better word mm-hmm. uh, to reign in say places like in art or in what might be seen as the more creative subjects. So children are allowed to come up with their own ways of painting a picture or composing a piece of music or writing their story. Um, so it really shouldn't be that mathematics is any different to that. You think about, you think about mathematics as a language and as a form of communication and mm. that really, I suppose, shifts the balance. Mm. And that again gets back to the importance of having students chatting yes. and, and you know having those conversations and how does the teacher then lead those conversations and encourage students to be um, a bit more vocal? Yeah I think we probably mentioned um, some strategies already but allowing you know the, the, the paired work or uh, children to um, write their thinking you know write about their thinking on a piece of paper so they've the chance to rehearse if you like mm. what they want to say but there are other devices that the teacher can use because very often the discourse pattern in a classroom and in many, in, in many lessons, but particularly mathematics again, is the initiation, initiation response evaluation. So the teacher asks a question, he or she gets a response and then from a child and then the teacher evaluates the answer. So this is where we get children thinking about what it is that the mm, teacher wants. So instead of evaluating it the teacher can ask the other children if they agree or they disagree or if they have a different way or if they think differently about and so on so there are lots of devices that you can use to open up discussion and to have children talk about their thinking and 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 it takes some time because initially children may very well uh, be more used to the culture where answering questions in maths about giving single word responses or maybe mm-hmm. not much more than mm-hmm. a few words, if you like. Changing that can take time, but after a while, they may begin to realise that I can give an opinion and I'm not going to be judged as such for that opinion. But the other thing I'd like to say is that it's not just like that everything goes in a maths mm-hmm. class because the teacher has to keep his or her eye on the mathematics of the lesson. We do know that by and large, if you add a half and a quarter, you'll get three quarters, in most cases, maybe instances where that doesn't happen, but we won't go there now. It isn't the case that all answers are acceptable. They have to have the correct mathematical understanding at the end of a a lesson or a series Mm. of lessons and so on. So there's a bit of juggling to be done there because we welcome children's opinions, input, we want them discussing, but we also have to keep an eye on the mathematics and correct mathematics.
you would say that a lot of interactions with students can be just about getting the right answer. Okay, correct, not correct. Um, yes, no, mm. whatever. You know, so so it's trying to open that up open and get something a bit more, absolutely, bit more and interesting. For the that students. might sometimes be about changing around a question as well and asking a more open type of question. Mm. So it's not just a question that requires a single word response, but maybe opening up. So instead of, for example, um, asking what's half and a quarter, which might be, it, it might be relevant and appropriate at times, mm-hmm. but you might also say, well, what two fractions might I add together to give three quarters? And that will open up the discussion in the classroom. Is there any simple change that you've made to your own teaching or to, to students' teaching that's had a really disproportionate kind of impact on the students? I think what's really important, and I suppose it just reflects my own interests, my own research, uh, area is around the whole class discussion and I've mentioned that a few mm. times so it, rather than, you know it's it's very often uh, you know problems are given the group work happens and then there's a very cursory whole class discussion at the end and it's often in the whole class discussion at the end and you can see children change their thinking and so on so that's where I think I would start and say yeah, think about the kinds of questions that you will ask at the end of the group activity to mm. to help them to think in a deeper mathematical way and not just to see it as a as a kind of summary of findings to engage in other children's strategies and not just to to collect them and that they evaluate them Mm. and and think about them and and make some kind of i suppose it comes back to that idea of reflection Mm. reflection on learning and having that opportunity to reflect on their own learning and the learning of others sometimes what can happen is that children might if they have solved a problem they might just put it on display and they can walk around the room or whatever and look at children's different solution strategies and, and that will give them a chance to engage you, you you can manage the discussion by saying well you know there's something you did or there's something different that you did and you know mm. and to move that discussion in that way rather than having children taking over the class they might just m- mention one small thing they did in one s- part a part of their response strategy or so on and how we manage that and also to say that that communication I've talked about whole class discussion and that's really important but there's lots of ways of communicating as well and we've talked about mm-hmm. the, their work their writing you know maybe audio recording something all of that lots and lots of ways that they might be able to to share their solution strategies is there anything that you feel that you've learned from your students oh I'm constantly learning from them all the time this yeah constantly I mean it's once you start listening to them and, and listening to how they've learned and listening to their approaches and they will come up with ways of solving problems that, that I would never think of. And I remember asking pupils one time, you know, about learning of mathematics. And they said, you know, sometimes in maths, you ask, you say to a teacher, I can't, that you don't understand something. And then the teacher's response is, but I've already explained it to you. Or they just read the same the, the the problem in the same way all over again, and I think they know what's going on. They absolutely know. They're capable of being so involved in how they learn and what they learn. It's really mm. about real community of practice and, mm. and co-constructing. We co-construct. We're not there as the sage on stage, but we're listening. And not neither, you know, the actual side of it, who's outside mm. of it, but right there in the middle constructing our learning together. Is there any question that you've been asked by a student that sticks in your mind? I mean, I suppose the one that, that always brings to mind is the, the question of how many 
sides as a circle. Got Okay. Mm. <laughs> that was an interesting one. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So how now, did you answer it? Well, they, I asked them what they thought. I mean, they, they always won or none or whatever. Mm. And then one child said, well, you know, if you see how a circle is done on the computer, you can see all the little sides on it. Because the pixelation you can see is not quite smooth. Mm. Circumference. And, and they were able to work that out. And... And so, so these are these are primary school. these are primary school children. So yeah. I think you see, I think sometimes we forget the kind of concepts that absolutely, they're capable of. Absolutely, and they love to talk about infinity. That's mm. one. I've had so many discussions with them about infinity. They love it. They love it. That idea of the circle there is like calculus. You know, it's the first idea of it. You know, bringing it to you know bringing it to infinity. You know, so it's like really and, and likewise, really complex. You know, my six-year-old nephew recently mm. announced that zero was a number. Which we didn't know for a very yeah, long time. Yeah, absolutely. So he's full of zero. He loves, he's fascinated by zero. So I think that children can be fascinated by number and how numbers work and so on. And don't give them that chance to, to think in a way. But and, and they do because if we have to try to talk about zero, it's hard for us to talk about hard. Zero is difficult and think about zero as a number is difficult. Mm-hmm. From the example that you've given, primary school students are capable of thinking about mm, really difficult yeah. concepts. Mm. What do you think the most common reason is for someone failing or giving up or uh, not engaging? Again, to come back to it, there could be lots of reasons that they're mm. checking out and there yeah. might be factors that are outside of school. Um, so it's never, there's no easy answer mm-hmm. to that. If we just talk about maths per se, mm-hmm. I think it goes back to a lot of what we've talked about, that they feel they're not good at maths, that they can't do, that they can't get the answer immediately, that they're not quick enough, uh, that they know that what they're being presented with is just too difficult for them, that it's, it's as I've talked about before, way beyond their reach. And everybody having to be on the same page at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's around, we've got to go back to where they're at. And, and as I said, there may be a lot of other reasons that they disengage. And we've got to think about not just the child in the maths class, but the child who's coming in with, there may be many, many, things going on in their lives that, mm-hmm. that make learning and engage and engaging in schoolwork difficult. So there, there are other factors as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If you were working with tasks then, like mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're thinking about a task for mm-hmm. your class, mm-hmm. um, how do you pitch it? Like, do you try to go for the middle ground? Do, you know, where, how do you pitch a task? How would you choose a task? What would it be? Well, we always talk, we talk about the low threshold, high ceiling tasks. Mm-hmm. So the task that everybody can engage with at some level, mm-hmm. but was a level of challenge where some children can go beyond that. So if we were to, for example, go back to, I think an example that I gave earlier on, what two numbers add to three quarters. Mm-hmm. Well, some children, maybe if that, if appropriate, many children think, well, you might think about a half and a quarter. Yeah. And that might be sufficient. But for other children, they will think in other ways about that. Mm-hmm. So they might bring in you know, one-eighth and five-eighths, or whatever it were. So they can come up with many, many different responses. And so it's not necessarily the child who, with the most response who gets is rewarded, but that everybody has, in some way, engaged with the problem is what's mm-hmm. rewarded. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, as a teacher, you try a task mm-hmm. and some of the students can't do it, you think the wrong task. Or, or perhaps they just need to be supported mm-hmm. in ways. So maybe they think about the resources that they might need 
or how the problem might need to be adapted in some way mm -hmm. for those particular students. So we might change the numbers or change some aspect of it that would make bring it within their reach. Just it really, the problem has to be just a little bit outside their reach. So whatever is required to bring it to that level is what's important. So thanks very much, Therese, for uh, all of your input today. Uh, is there any like closing remarks that you'd like to make or any final uh, pieces of advice or wisdom you'd like to, to share I with us? I, I'm, I'm very passionate uh, about mathematics being for all. And uh, also the idea that children, to see children and all learners, children as they move from very early childhood right through to their teens and possibly into third level, being capable of solving deep and challenging mathematical ideas. And I don't think that they should be undersold in that regard. Thanks a million, Therese. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. So, Katrina, you've heard Dr. Therese Dooley's contribution there. Did anything um, stick out there in your mind? or? Yeah, like Therese has so many interesting insights into primary school maths education. I mean, there's so many things I could pick on to talk about, but I in particular liked her closing statement or remarks about how, you know, maths is for everyone. And it's not necessarily that you have to be brilliant at maths to get enjoyment out of maths or to feel successful in a maths context. So I thought that was really, really nice. Thank you for listening to Tangents. To find out more about our podcasts, resources, or to get in contact, go to www.jct.ie forward slash maths or follow us on Twitter at jctmaths. To hear more from Junior Cycle Talks, search for us on SoundCloud or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts.